0: bringing you clarity and solutions with Q&A sessions and inspirational conversations with world-renowned experts in a variety of fields. I've recently created a private community for us to continue these supportive and uplifting conversations. Click the Join the Art of Parenting Community Here button on this page and I will see you there. I'm a firm believer that parenting was never meant to be done alone, and I'm here to debunk the general consensus that it has to be hard. A warm welcome to you, and thanks for tuning in. Hello everyone and welcome back to The Art of Parenting. This is Jeanne-Marie Penel, your host, and today I have a what I consider a dear friend. We haven't met in person, but we've had many chats, and uh, I just want to welcome onto the podcast Mariana Bissonnette. So, Bissonnette, I'm saying it with my French accent, I'm not sure if I'm pronouncing it your way, Mariana, but welcome to the art of parenting. It's wonderful to finally have you here because we've talked about this many times. So welcome, welcome.
1: Thank you so much. I'm really excited to to be here. And it's my my married name, so it's Bisonette, um, but it's a French-Canadian last name. So if that gives me direction. <laughs> okay, perfect, perfect. So as I like to
0: always start, um, to ask my guests how they define the art of parenting.
1: Yeah, that's such a good question. And it's very apt for the name of the podcast. Um, I think it's definitely an art (laughs) and a science (laughs) to a certain extent. I I think that um, when I certainly think about words, I think um, of art, I think of creativity, I think of um, being quick on your feet, I think of problem solving in creative ways. And I think that that to me has a lot of the sort of inherent quality of the art of parenting is that we know quite a bit about predictable human development, and that can be a tremendous guide to understanding the stages that our children are going through. But the actual art of parenting is knowing that you have an individual, unique child in front of you, and we have to be responsive and creatively adaptive to the child in front of us and to every single day as parents.
0: Wow. Love that definition. So true. We have to be creative to that unique child that we have in front of us. Beautiful. Thank you. And you, you are a parent yourself, correct?
1: I am. I have a just eight-year-old and a five-year-old. Okay. All righty.
0: So before we get too involved in our conversation, I would love for you to share with our listeners kind of your background and how you came to do the work that you are doing today.
1: Sure. Um, Yeah, so I've been um, in Montessori since 2010, but I was in education prior to that. Um, I was in sort of conventional education. I was working at the local school district. And I really felt all of the work that I was doing in and around conventional education um, was not meeting a lot of people's needs. I was hearing from students, from teachers, and from families that there was something that wasn't working. And when I found Montessori, I said, wow, this is an approach that really is thinking about each of those three um, entities and how they work together, the educator, the family, and in service of the child. So I've been a Montessori educator um, for over 10 years, and I have my zero to six teaching credentials. Um, I worked in as an assistant and toddler. And then I worked in primary and got my primary diploma. And then I went back and did my zero to three after having children of my own and realizing how much support um, I needed and how much um, more information I needed about the first three years um, in order to parent my own children. And um, I'm also an author. So I in after Having my first child and getting my zero to three diploma, I knew that this was something I wanted to kind of shout off the rooftops, the the Montessori and the zero to three space of how informative and helpful um, it was to tap into a community of other families going through the same thing, as well as get more information about what I was supposed to be doing with my child every day. And um during that process, I started working with families um, just as sort of friends and family and extended people, um, just to go to their homes and answer questions and just be of service and support. And based on that experience, that really grew into um, a consultation business where I, I work with families. And after several years of that, I realized that all of the notes that I've compiled over the years um Those turned out to be the the first draft of a book. So I published my first book um, at the end of 2020. It's called Babies Build Toddlers. So I'm an author. And then, of course, I'm a a parent of two. um, And they've really been a big part of my journey in sort of having me show up where I am today um, as a parent guide and as a Montessorian is really trying to see education through the perspective of supporting this next generation um, and wanting to show up for my kids and helping other families do the same.
0: Beautiful, beautiful, and and I do really appreciate your book that is uh, very informative and uh, also the work that you've put into the illustration and and mm. having these different artists. Um, you know, I really loved that concept when when I got my copy. It's beautiful. So thank you for that. Thank you. And how did you how did you come to Montessori? Because you said you were more of a traditional educator. But how did you how did you discover Montessori?
1: Yeah, so I was working in the district. So I was sort of I was outside of the classroom and I was having some feelings that maybe this model wasn't serving <laughs> each of these core Um, sort of stakeholders. And I was interested in maybe doing some classroom work, but I wasn't sure what that would look like. And honestly, I ran into a friend from high school, and I was walking my dog, (laughs) my beloved dog, Moose. um, And I ran into this friend I hadn't seen in probably 12 years. And she was working as a toddler assistant at a local Montessori school. And she was leaving to go do her training, Um, And she was leaving her position because she was going to get trained in London. And I'm in um, Oakland in California. And she mentioned that I should go check it out if I was interested in education. And um, I, you know, got a hold of the owner and saw if I could set up a time to observe and I was welcomed in and I sat down in that toddler environment and I saw 14 two year olds just, Going about their day, um, and I saw a t- one teacher sort of giving a very quiet lesson, and another teacher in the bathroom and helping a child, and then someone else sitting to observe. And I was absolutely floored. <laughs> I just couldn't believe that this was a reality, that this was actually possible. And I really, I, it sparked something in me about the the true potential of the child that we really underestimate. And the more I've dived into Montessori and gotten my trainings and the more I do it, the more I learn about the potential of the child. And it's just it's remarkable. And I've sort of fallen in love ever since.
0: <laughs> yeah, and, and that's and so beautiful and it's so true. I mean, for me it's always been you know, when I ask, it's really that first observation in an environment that has been intentionally set up for the child that people realize, like, oh my gosh, yes, they are very capable human beings, and and why why aren't all our schools like this and everything? And and at this time, you did not have children, or you already did? No, 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 okay. no. When I
1: found sorry, I didn't have kids yet. Um, Lucky them. <laughs> Oh, yeah, no, that was yeah. great because I was settled at a Montessori school when I had kids, and they were able to uh-huh. come to my school with me so
0: uh-huh, wonderful yeah i i I mean, I knew about Montessori, but I didn't really delve into it until my children were actually the age your children are today, so that's always been kind of, oh, I wish I had discovered that uh sooner and which is which is why I do what I do is to make sure that people learn about this early on. So wonderful, wonderful. And what are some like, uh, maybe big um, revelation, not revelations, but kind of principles that you have adopted in your own home as a parent of your children, once you discovered Montessori?
1: I'd say there's definitely some practical things that I did in the environment that that would be a big thing that I adopted first. So, um, you know, I, I used a floor bed and when a child is very, very little, it's sort of the same difference because it's they're they're not going anywhere. So from the perspective of the parent, it wasn't a big um, ask for the child to be in a, in a floor bed without any rails versus a crib with rails. I think it makes a tremendous difference to the child. But from the parent experience, um, adopting that kind of thing very early on felt doable. And I always told myself, I said, hey, and if this doesn't work out, you know, we can always <laughs> go back to what, you know, the original idea was, which was a crib. Um, and it just, some of those very practical elements of Montessori, um, I just never found a reason not to do it. It just, I was waiting. I was waiting for some of these things not to work or having the child use small eating utensils in an open cup. I said, you know, I can always get a sippy cup. I can always go that direction if we need to. And then we just never needed to. So, so I'd say that there was some practical things that I adopted first. And I think especially once my child, my first child was a toddler, that's when I think a bit more of the deeper philosophy around trying to really understand that the child is not at odds with us, <laughs> even though it feels like it sometimes, that they're actually, we're at odds with them in those moments when, when we are misaligned to what their body, brain, heart, and soul is trying to tell them to do in their development. And getting into that that different perspective as a parent to remind myself that I'm not in conflict with them. I'm actually creating something that's in conflict with their Development. And that's when I took my zero to three training and really opened my eyes to the theory and a a lot more of the deeper ideas in Montessori that absolutely pair with the practicality. But I'd say that those two big things were what I implemented. Um, at the beginning, that that really changed and shaped the way I parented. Wonderful, wonderful,
0: and I would love for for the listeners um, actually, if we can elaborate on those those two points. So first of all, the floor bed, and then this this aspect of what you say of being at odds with them, and and really um, how we can be aware of that and, and what we can do about it. So maybe if you want to start with that, that would be great.
1: Sure. Um, So yeah, in terms of being at odds with a child, I think a a good example, and this is something that happened to me, Mm -hmm. (laughs) I had to remind myself, this was when my second child was a young toddler. So they were probably 13 or so months just had started walking in relatively recently and um, we were using cloth diapers and the way that cloth diapers are is there's this, an internal sort of cloth and then there's this external wrap that, you know, will have a snap or a Velcro and the ones that I had had snaps. So once the child is walking or really standing up um, in Montessori spaces, a lot of times we, it will feel like the, the child is resisting being changed um, in their diaper when they're laying down um so we switched to a standing diaper change because that does tend to follow the child's sort of wishes and desire to be standing up and um I was changing the the child my child's diaper and maybe they were actually a few months older because they did actually use a, a word um very intentionally but I I was I was trying to put it on and my second child said, help. And so I went to go snap it, and then my child completely melted down. And of course, if you're trying to change a diaper standing up and the child starts falling apart, it makes it quite difficult. Yes. So I thought, I thought, okay, well, you know, they asked for help, and now they don't want help. How frustrating this is. And I think parents um, find that a lot is that the child seems to be very, very clear about something. And then we provide that thing for them and then they fall apart and they don't want it. And we're confused. And so in that moment, um, I, I, we went through this back and forth because then of course my child couldn't do their diaper themselves. And so then they would say help. And then I would go try and do the snaps and they would melt down again. And it must've happened four times and then I just I just started laughing at myself because I thought of Montessori's very famous quote of she articulated for the child that they are trying to say help me do it myself, and I realized I thought oh, this is a misalignment that 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 I'm completely misunderstanding. I think I'm understanding what my child is asking for. I think that I'm in alignment with them, but we're getting into a conflict, and I'm thinking that it's because the child is, you know, potentially I'm thinking that they're being stubborn or that they, you know, don't know what they want or they're changing their mind. But but that kind of thinking continues to misalign me to the child's development. Whereas when I realized I said, "Oh, right. You don't want me to do this for you. You're asking to be part of the process. And so the next time I did it, I did not snap it for them is I just showed them, of course, they didn't push the snap perfectly themselves, but I involved them in the process and they didn't fall apart. And we were able to do the diaper. And it was just one of those moments where I thought, oh, that's what that means. Help me do it myself does not mean do it for me. And, and I, I think that that would be my the example that I, comes to my mind all the time when I think about a misalignment is just taking that moment, that step back in our parenting to say the conflict is not with the child. The co- conflict is in the development that I am misunderstanding. And, of course, you want to be independent and be a part of the process.
0: Right, right. That is, that is beautiful because it is so true that we – Often misunderstand just their little cry for help of let me let me try to do this right and and it's almost like we need to have that in in our homes (laughs) in big letters you know help me to do it myself. There must be some Uh,
1: Etsy shop somewhere who makes those.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, and and it's fascinating because actually I'm I'm preparing a, a parent talk for school and I've been going back and forth in email with the director and she keeps on saying, you know, please tell parents that your children can be independent. And it's true, right? Because I think that as parents, we often think that that is our kind of our job, right, is to do everything for them. But that is quite, quite the contrary. It's really about helping them uh, to do it for themselves. So love that example. Wonderful. Now, I would love if you would elaborate on this notion of the floor bed because some of the listeners probably maybe have never heard of this concept and like, what? You know, Mariana did not use a crib. What, what, what is, what is she talking about? But if you could elaborate on why. Uh, you know, in the Montessori community, we kind of really encourage parents and families to not use, you know, a crib, which which to me is is a container that was really created to appease parents and not really beneficial for the development of the child. So I'd love if you could elaborate on that.
1: Oh, definitely. Yeah. I mean, the, so the floor bed, if we think back, for for those who are listening as parents, if you think back, In history, this is a very common place practice, that the crib is in the relative recent past, um, and it was definitely designed for um, the uh, comfort of the adult. So it's not designed for the child, but it's very common around the world for a child. They they can't be up high because if if there's no containering for them to be higher up, they would need to be lower down. So it's a very normal um, position for, for to have a young child um, in a sleeping space lower to the floor. So just reminding ourselves, and I think this is one of the reasons why in Montessori we try to say conventional education rather than traditional education, because um, conventional education is actually in the relative recent um, history, whereas traditional, we're going to go well beyond... <laughs> Um, back in time to really look at how families and children um, developed and, you know, grew in different cultures. So the floor bed is the same thing. So just to anchor ourselves that this isn't a new idea, that this is a a pretty common practice, that if you aren't going to have a perimeter around a sleeping space, that the child does need to be lower to the ground. So in Montessori, um, there are, uh, you know, trying to think of the child's sleep space and any of their spaces as aligned to their, the child's development. That's really where we're going to start in, in our sort of process of thinking through Montessori in a space. And so when we think about the child's perspective, um, there's a couple of things that the floor bed really adds to the child's experience, and the first is access. So, of course, a very small child um, is not going to be very mobile, but if we imagine a crawling child, because a crib has bars on it and it's um, up to the height often of the adult, they do not have access to their sleep space. So they have to wait for an adult to let them out of their sleep space when they're done being rested. And they have to have an adult put them in the sleep space when it's time to go to sleep. So that often creates this necessary sort of transfer that for the parents listening, (laughs) if you have a young child, this sort of um, this transfer of, you have this beautiful sleeping child and now you have to move them up over the bars of the crib and down, and then they usually wake up. Um, that is creating an obstacle, not only for the adult, but it's, the problem is access is that neither the adult nor the child can easily access the space. And so then the question is, well, what are the bars doing there? Well, they're only there because we can't have the, the, uh, bed lifted. And so then the solution is, well, don't lift the bed. <laughs> And then the child has access. So when they're tired, um, they can crawl onto their bed. When they're well-rested, they can just as easily crawl off of their bed. And when they're very young, the adult doesn't have to transfer them. The adult can actually just lay with the child. And then um, if the, ch- the, the adult wants to sleep elsewhere, then they could leave when the child's asleep. There's a lot of flexibility there, although some Montessori families will get a, a larger size floor bed and then do some version of a partial co-sleeping just in the child space so that it's really centered around the child rather than having the child co-sleep in an adult-centered space. So access is going to be a really big part of the Montessori floor bed experience and then i i'd say the other piece of um for the child is that you know one of the biggest things that they're developing in the first 6 months of life is their eyesight and if their um perspective if we think about how much of the day that they're sleeping if they're sleeping predominantly in a space where their eyesight is being limited to a foot on either side, we're not giving their eyes the ability to try to focus on things that are farther and farther and farther. Whereas when the child is being restful and they're starting to fall asleep and they might be glancing around, if there's no mesh or there's no bars, they actually do get to see farther distances. Um, And so the, the ability to Um, unlock the room for the child is another benefit um, of the floor bed that that I certainly I saw both the child that my both my kids accessing their beds independently from the beginning. And it was I just it was remarkable. I mean, just the older one when we had a baby that they were able to, you know, snuggle with the baby with us and read stories. And it all felt very communal. Um, And it felt really connected. And I couldn't imagine, you know, obviously it has to work in the space. If there are some spaces where, you know, I've done home visits with families where there really isn't another space for the baby to be. And if the baby was crawling around the apartment that would be really difficult to prepare the entire apartment for the child. So sometimes there are spaces that are the constraining element um, that require or necessitate um, some kind of containering for the child. But where you can, it's really a lovely option um, to be able to use with the kids. It is,
0: it is. And I've, you know, I've experienced it myself where I actually didn't know about the floor bed until my second. And I remember, you know, putting the floor bed very, very early on. I mean, he was in the crib at the very beginning, because I had them both in the same room, my my eldest was on a floor bed, he was in a crib, but very quickly, I Put a floor bed. And I remember he and and knock on wood, but he's both of them were great sleepers. And he literally would get up from, you know, having lunch and would just go wash his hands and go to bed. And it was because he was tired and he wanted to go to bed. And it's true that when you have these containers where they basically are dependent on us to see their sleep cues or interpret their sleep cues. And then, you know, and then it's this whole ordeal of, well, I don't want to be put in this box with bars and, you know, and it just becomes so, so yes, it just feels a lot more natural. Um, and I know, you know, I can, I can hear parents think, Oh my gosh, that would never work. Like they would get up all the time and all this, but I think like everything, it is kind of this muscle and that you, you go back and forth and and say, you know, this is where we rest and and we sleep. And it does end up really working well for, I think, everybody.
1: Yeah. and And I also think that, you know, the idea of the child getting up, part of the intention around the floor bed, this idea of access and independence, is that the child may well not be very tired. And if you put them in a container, and they're not tired. They might as well. They're going to spend that time probably being upset. And then you're still going in and trying to figure out how to help them. But I'll share my second child. They went through their motor milestones very quickly. I mean, they were crawling at six months. They were pulling to stand at nine at eight months. They were starting to take some steps um, at. 10 months. So they, they were really flying through these motor milestones. And during that period, when they were learning many milestones, back to back to back, I would put them down at seven we'd say good night, they wouldn't be asleep. And they would crawl off their bed. And they would go find a book and then they would crawl somewhere else, and then they'd crawl and look out the window, and then they'd crawl somewhere else. And during that period of high intense mobility learning, they would do that for an hour before falling asleep. And I could just imagine what that would look like (laughs) if they were contained, because what they're doing is they're essentially getting their needs met. they're, They're not quite tired, and they have a little bit more energy to sort of pass off. And then when they were tired, I would poke my head in and I would see that they were in their bed asleep. Um, And it was so lovely to to have them still have their consistent sleep time and all of that, but they just needed to move around a little bit more. (laughs) Right. And to me,
0: that is also that emphasis that we have, you know, in Montessori is to trust, trust the process, to trust the child, like to, to to really give them that 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 power to trust themselves and to trust their own needs so by you letting that child be you know alone and just figuring out and and getting rid of their energy and so forth, then they were able to meet their needs of, okay, now I'm tired. I can go to sleep on my bed.
1: Yeah. And they did that for months and then they just stopped and they, they started to not leave their bed and they went to sleep soon after it was, but it was all about those, those motor times. They really needed to move and they met that need themselves and also were able to reaccess their sleep space without any intervention. So it was it was very lovely to see that, yeah,
0: wonderful. Um, I, I I would love if we could go a little bit more personal in that. Um, you discovered you know Montessori uh, as an adult, and you it's probably shaped how you parent your children. How, how does that um mirror how you were raised?
1: Hmm. Um. Yeah. I mean, I'd say that there's a couple of things about that. So I, my mother's family and my grandmother's from Venezuela and my dad's family um, is um, from here, but his, you know, back, back in the day, ancestors are from Scotland and England. Um, And so there were really different cultural backgrounds between my two families. So um, I really got the sense that there was this bit of uh, translation that that was happening of that I at least felt that there was a lot of warmth and connection and, you know, sort of physical like touch and hugging and all of that uh, with my cousins on my mom's side and all of that. And um, it was just a slightly different cultural background on my dad's side. And so I did feel growing up, um, that there was this translation that, that I knew that I was in a different cultural space. Um, and I was picking up on cues that would be relevant to that, whether they were ev- even language cues, because my mother's side of the family all speaks Spanish. Um, and I guess I have I always think about that a lot when I think about parenting and I think about my own how I'm parenting my children as, as different or similar to how I was parented is I just, I lean a lot on that translation. I lean a lot on how am I understanding this? And then what is my child trying to say? And where is the translation in the middle? Um, And I I just think that that's, that, that felt really relevant to me. Um, But I, I do think that my, You know, I did actually go to kind of an in-home, Montessori-inspired sort of preschool kind of program. Um, When I was growing up, it wasn't like a full, but my mom has talked about how of all the different places that she found, she really felt drawn to the idea that kids were going to get a very homey environment where they were... You know where we were able to do real things in a kitchen, just like she would do at home. So I think that there was a lot of crossover in terms of the approach in Montessori with what was naturally or felt rather natural for for what I experienced um, at home with my mom.
0: Hmm. No, I ask because I often feel that that. Uh families who maybe were did not know about Montessori growing up and, and discover it are, are sometimes at odd or in conflict with how they were parented or that, you know, I, I often get uh, questions such, you know, how do I explain to my parents or, you know, my older generation that why I'm doing the things I'm doing? And so that's why I was just wondering if that was ever, kind of an issue in in how you parent and, and how differently maybe you were parented?
1: Well, I think definitely not using a crib was, I had a lot of questions. <laughs> People had a lot of questions. My mom would call and say, are you sure you don't want, we have the crib? And and then she would call me a couple months later, we still have the crib. Are you sure you don't want the, <laughs> and, um, but, but I think that they, there's always been, because I I think Montessori, when you really sit down and, and think about it and talk about it, it makes a lot of sense. And that's what I hear from a lot of families. And I think that at least growing up for me, it, even though my parents, you know, they didn't know much about Montessori and, you know, we had enough of this tiny, this little preschool, but, um, There was enough of like a leaning towards that kind of thinking of just it makes a lot of sense. And of course, the kids should be doing these things that that it it does feel mostly aligned, even if there's a couple of practical things that we're doing that (laughs) might not make sense to everyone like the crib. Right, right. Wonderful. Um oh,
0: now I would love to ask you on a, on a more personal level if you were you said you had an 8 and a 5-year-old. So if you were to go back to uh maybe 9 years ago when you were expecting your first child, what wise words would you tell yourself knowing all that you know today?
1: <laughs> That's a good question. Um yeah, it's, it's, it's so hard because I feel, well, I'll say two things. One thing I would say is that I remember I was so excited when I was expecting my first and then after going through labor and delivery and having a really, really challenging birth experience, I remember talking to some of my cousins who had already had kids and I thought, why didn't you all tell me? was so hard. And they, they just sort of laughed and they said, well, you don't want to sort of burst the pregnant lady's bubble. Um, and I think about that a lot of, of there, there is a certain amount of, um, just sort of, uh, innocence is maybe not the right word, but, but you, you, you don't know what you're getting into and it's okay. And, um, so I don't know that I would impart any specific wisdom to myself, um, aside from make sure you tap into networks of support and have those lined up ahead of time so that you know if you need additional support, um, that you have people you can talk to um, in a group, uh, other parents of similar age kids. But I, I think that when you go into parenting, you because you don't know what child you're going to have you don't know what it's going to be like even when you have your second or other additional children it you don't know what that's going to be like and um, so i guess I, I would i would i would sort of think in that way but i guess the the piece of advice that i had gotten that i wished i'd gotten earlier so this isn't my advice but it's what somebody said to me is i was remarking that parenting was really hard And I was sort of saying something along the lines of, does it get any easier? And the person told me, this was actually a parent, I was teaching primary, and it was one of the student's parents. And she said, you know, it doesn't get any easier. Each age has its own challenges, but it definitely gets a lot more fun. (laughs) And I've just always thought about that, that no matter how hard it is, I know that It is, it is the more you do it and the more you get to know your children, it definitely just becomes so enjoyable because you get to see who they are. You get to see um, the fruits of the labor that you put in, um, in the first several years. Um, You get to hear their opinions on things and it definitely gets a lot more fun, even though it's still a very hard task.
0: So, so I, 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 I'm going to nitpick though, here because I guess I can, well, I guess I have, I'm kind of always on this mission to debunk this notion that parenting has to be hard. So it's like, how can we dispel that in a way, like, I know you've created this wonderful, the peace program, which to me is, is, you know, a wonderful tool to help parents for it not to be so hard right because you're you're in community you're you like you said you know to have that network and everything but how can we really help parents uh, approach parenting with maybe this more positive mindset that it doesn't have to be hard i think if we if we know ourselves a bit more and if we learn to observe and to know our children better. I think that it can be really joyful from from the beginning and and I guess, you know, that's very personal because I think that it was that way. I mean, I I have a, almost a 26-year-old next week. So, it's been a while, but I I don't have these memories of it being so hard and grueling. I mean, I'm sure I doubted myself and that, you know, during some, some you know, big developmental leaps and all this was like, oh my gosh, what's going on? But I never thought of it as like, oh my gosh, you know, it is so hard. So, how can we really help parents? Um, I guess dispel that myth in a way.
1: Well, I mean, I definitely think that aligning ourselves to the child's development makes parenting a whole lot easier. <laughs> absolutely, that is 100% true that that if that the parts that make it the most challenging are when we are out of sync with what the child is trying to do and the child is just trying to do the development they were born to do and if we are an obstacle then they're going to push us as a rock they're going to try and push us out of their road. And it's going to feel difficult because we don't understand what they're pushing away. Um, if so, you know, for example, when my child, my second child was, um, doing, uh, was to- learning how to use the toilet, we had followed the sort of early Montessori toileting. And so by the time they were walking, we had made a transition. They were wearing um, diapers for resting time, Um, And they were wearing cloth underwear for the daytime with access to a toilet. And that went really well for the first couple of months. And then somewhere around 16 months, they started resisting the whole thing. They didn't want to use the toilet and they didn't want to do anything. And because I, that could have been really challenging because, and it was challenging because I didn't know what exactly to do. And if I didn't, align myself to the child's development, I probably would have said, "Okay, I guess, you know, we're going to it's early anyway, so we'll just back off, go back to diapers and then attempt to do it later, which would have been a very adult centered thing (laughs) of just sort of saying that I am I, you know, I I see my child resisting. And so I'm going to I'm going to put this on pause until I can sort of read that it looks like we're ready. But but instead, I said, you know, resistance is a form of independence. Like, I've got this. So I said, I'm going to lean on that one instead, that maybe I need to stop telling my child every five seconds it's time to use the body and we need to do this. And and I just said, they've got it, you know, that they know how to change. And, you know, I'm here if they need it. And there was definitely some wet clothes along the way. But within a, a week they had made leaps and bounds of success with their toileting much more than they had in the past. And that made my life as a parent a lot simpler because now they were independent in this task and we were no longer at odds that I was able to say, you know, let's go potty before we go out to the park. And then they would go to use the toilet. So, so it definitely, if, if we, and I think that's, you know, in terms of the peace program, that's what I, try to do is to create spaces where families can reduce the isolation, be in community with other families and have the guidance of a Montessori um, educator to be able to understand how to align themselves to their child's development. But, but I think, and so I I would absolutely dispel that like parenting has to be as hard as I think a lot of parents experience. And I, I do think that it is uh, uh, it's a tremendous work that we do as parents and we're juggling a lot We're juggling you know maybe a relationship home responsibilities um a work work job or home you know things and and I think that having i think that where parenting falls into that is it, it really, um, to me, that's the part that feels the, the challenge is to is to really feel like I'm showing up for my kids the way that I want to, but I'm also showing up for myself and for my partner and for my work life. And it just, it becomes, I think that part of, of life is very challenging. Um, and honestly sometimes you know it is difficult to navigate the uh, for me at least i've i've you know trying to figure out what is the misalignment here what what, what am i doing wrong? <laughs> what if, what is wrong in the environment and that can feel um challenging but i think you can make it easier you can make it simpler by getting support and especially if you can get connection in to somebody like a monastery guide who can help um Shape your path a little bit to help you understand that misalignment, um, and to get back in alignment with your child's development.
0: Yes, thank you for that. And 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 I and I didn't mean to say you know it 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 wasn't hard, Mariana, but it, it it's true that because we're both kind of parent you know, mentors and educators, I just, I really, and I love what you said about, you know, again, this, this, your toileting experience, again, it was this idea of trust, of trusting that your child is capable. And, and, you know, you, you, even with the knowledge that you had at the time and everything, yes, it is a bit challenging. But it's always, you know, I always say, try to remember that, that our children are not giving us a hard time. They're not, you know, they're not doing it on purpose to give us a hard time. They are just having a hard time. They are going through a transition. They are trying to figure things out. And it's, it's us trusting ourselves and and trusting the process that is so, uh, so important. So thank you for that. Thank you. Um, And and as we wrap up um, this wonderful conversation, anything that you would like to leave our listeners with, a a takeaway that you'd like to leave our listeners with?
1: Yeah, I just would say that community is out there. Um, It is such an important space to find Connection and empathy with other families going through the same thing of parenting um, to be able to find like minded families who are trying out things that you're trying out or that you can lean on and learn from. It's so it's invaluable to the parenting experience, and it exists. So there's a lot of Montessori educators who are creating um, community-centered spaces for families, and I think it's happening more. Um, and I have I have my own through the Peace Program that you can check out, and there's there's many others. So I say that that is the thing that, especially over the past several years with the the pandemic. I think feelings of isolation and disconnection from community has been a really big part of our lived experience, and um, sometimes it's really hard to figure out where you're gonna where you're gonna go, or you know maybe you know you can't go to the places that you were hoping to go to for whatever reason. It's hard to get the kids out the door, um, but there are community spaces, especially with. Our, our transitions online um, in some circles that that we really have learned how to leverage technology to increase community and to get off you know social media platforms that aren't helpful <laughs> that feel like they're community oriented but ultimately um, are sometimes um, not helping us feel any more connected there are spaces um, and I'm hoping to to be a part of creating those kinds of spaces but That would be the one thing I would leave you with is find a community, um, connect in and um, those that will be a really important network as you as you navigate parenting.
0: Beautiful and very well said, because as I often say, parenting was never meant to be done alone. So definitely find your community of support um, is very important for for you and your family. So wonderful. Well, Mariana, this was delightful. Thank you so much for spending the time with us and having this wonderful conversation. I'm so glad that we finally were able to have it.
1: Oh, thank you so much for having me. This was really, really uh, a pleasure talking with you and really great to drill down about Montessori and parent education. I love it.
0: I hope you enjoyed this episode of The Art of Parenting. And if you did, please make sure to share it with your loved ones. And do come share your takeaways in our private Facebook community. I'd also be grateful for a review on iTunes so it can get heard by many more. And remember, if you've got a question, let me know. I'm here for you. Till next time.